Chapter 1 Jeremiah was the 23rd gargoyle on the northwest terrace of the great cathedral. It was the 63,001st day since the 9,092nd chisel strike when Jeremiah woke up. Jeremiah was a wonderful listener. He would let you speak for as long as you needed, without interrupting once. He wouldn't nod or hmm along with you, but as you spoke, you would know in your heart that you were heard and understood. Jeremiah could still remember the first words he had listened to so many years ago. It was how he had gotten his name. A talented sculptor had been commissioned to make limestone statues of various animals and mythical beasts for the cathedral walls. The man cared deeply about his work and treated the stone he worked with as if it was a living thing. Every creature he fashioned was spectacular, but the 23rd gargoyle was his greatest work yet. As the statue neared completion, there was a feeling of magic in every arc of the hammer and chisel. The craftsman could sense it, and perhaps that was what caused his careless overreaching as he delivered the finishing touches. Just as the gargoyle awoke, the sculptor leaned too far forward and toppled over the railing down to a lower tier of scaffolding. From all sides, cathedral construction workers scurried towards their fallen comrade, shouting, Jeremiah, as they went. The newly completed 23rd gargoyle was just now becoming conscious of his surroundings and mistook the panicked voices to be calling for him. Jeremiah must be my name, he thought. As a stretcher was made for the injured sculptor, Jeremiah realized his mistake, but by then it was too late. It had stuck. After all, he didn't know any other names. Since that day, Jeremiah often wondered what happened to the sculptor. He wondered many things. This is how Jeremiah spent 63,001 days of his life, listening and wondering. The days were his favourites. Cathedral life was full of interesting thoughts, conversations and singing to eavesdrop on. 
thoughts were quiet and muddy, like trying to communicate underwater. But if someone wandered close enough to the cathedral wall, Jeremiah was often able to make it out. Conversations were much louder and clearer, though sometimes people's spoken words were less interesting than what was really going on in their heads. People rarely seemed to say what they meant. Singing was his favorite of all. It had even more clarity than speaking and even more purity than thought. The nights were much lonelier, though he did have the occasional visitor. On one particular night, he was visited by his friend, Bat. Chapter 3 Bat was a brown-furred barbastel and a terrible conversationalist. A dialogue with Bat, primarily composed of a sort of rhetorical request that made it unclear if he was asking for your help or not. These requests would be squeaked at Jeremiah until whatever Bat business he was about called him away. His troubles varied from food shortages to sick relatives to fears that the building exterminators would find their roosts Tonight, he had come to discuss Whiteface. Chapter 4 His claws are sharper than daggers. His eyes can see a thousand miles. He swallows us like we're tiny scallops, Bat said, panicked. Jeremiah wasn't sure exactly who or what Whiteface was, but he could sense that Bat needed to get this off his chest, so he let him charge on, uninhibited. On rare occasions, Jeremiah was able to get a thought in edgewise and give some advice to whatever Bat's current predicament was, but it was unclear how much Bat understood him. One thing that Jeremiah loved about Bat's visits was hearing about his many relatives. Truthfully, most of these stories had a rather traumatic plot, but still, Jeremiah had always wished for a family of his own and sometimes found himself living vicariously through Bat's stories. Bat was also very kind in his own way. For instance, it was rare that he would arrive on Jeremiah's ledge without bringing berries or moths or some other kind of food for Jeremiah to eat. As an unmoving limestone statue, Jeremiah couldn't chew or digest food, so the gifts would sit in front of him until the wind blew them away. But he was always grateful for the gesture. Chapter 5 The two winged creatures kept the night watch, discussing the white-faced phantom that was so troubling to Bat, until eventually the time came for him to leave. Though Bat could be a wearisome companion, the gargoyle looked forward to his visits and was sad to see him go. Jeremiah had no need or ability to sleep, but some nights, after there were no more thoughts, words or music to listen to, he would settle his mind to a comfortable, blank canvas state, a position so relaxed 
that he might as well have been asleep. He was settling into just such a state when suddenly his mind was assaulted by the color red, as if an unhinged artist was wielding his paintbrush like a scimitar. The rattled Jeremiah snapped to attention to see what had caused the disturbance. There, on his once blank canvas, was the unmistakable shape of a flame. Chapter 6 At first, Jeremiah assumed that the intrusive thought had been of his own creation, but as the flame lingered, he became more and more sure that it had come from someone else. Generally, thoughts couldn't travel far, so he assumed the thinker responsible must be nearby. In spite of this, it wasn't until daybreak that he could clearly identify the flame's origin. Jeremiah didn't know his name, but knew that the man was a cathedral staff member in charge of gardening and floral arrangements. It seemed that he had just delivered the Easter bouquets to the front entrance and was now making his way to another part of the cathedral to meet someone. What was he doing here so late last night? The gargoyle wondered. Though the man was not nearby, it was as if his emotions were flooding the entire building. It had taken Jeremiah a while to find him, but now that he had been located, it was very easy to follow his movements as he made his way to his destination. The flower man seemed to be oscillating, between an anger and a fear so intense that when he opened his mouth to speak, Jeremiah half expected fire to come out. Instead, it was a voice that trembled like water. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. He's in confession, Jeremiah realized. What's on your heart, son? He recognized the voice as Father John, one of the many clergy members who served at the cathedral. The flower man hesitated, leaving an awkward silence as Father John patiently waited. After the moment reached critical mass, the priest tried again. You've come to confess a sin that's been committed? There was another pause, but this time he responded. It hasn't been committed yet. Perhaps the best course of action would be to not commit the sin at all, replied Father John gently. What is it you are considering doing? The flower man either didn't hear the question or ignored it. With a quavering voice, he asked, Can a man be forgiven for a sin against God? Well, in a sense, all sins are against God. There was another pause. Not like this. Chapter 7 After the ominous conversation with Father John, the flower man sprinted to another location in the cathedral. His head was still expelling waves of fear and anger, but it seemed he had brought it under control enough 
to bring some professionalism to his next meeting. I know this isn't enough notice, but it... it's my sister. The woman who Jeremiah assumed was the flower man's manager replied with real empathy in her voice. The one in hospice? Yes, the doctors notified me that she doesn't have much time left and I want to be with her before she... before she leaves. Jean has already agreed to take on some of my workload for the upcoming week, if you'll allow me to take the time off for the trip. Yes, yes, of course, please go. Keep me updated with when you'll be able to return, said the manager, as the flower man thanked her profusely. Chapter 8 as the flower man left his employer's office, the conversation echoed in Jeremiah's mind. He couldn't tell if the man was lying or not, and this troubled him. Jeremiah was also struck by a strange feeling of jealousy for the flower man's situation. He envied how at a moment's notice this man could simply get up and leave the city to visit relatives. But on a much deeper level, he envied that he had a relative to visit. The absurdity of this thought was not lost on him. You are not jealous of a man whose sister is dying, and you definitely wouldn't want to have matches for a brain like he does. This caused him to ask the question, why was his head so full of fire? In his 63,002 days at the cathedral, Jeremiah had seen his fair share of funerals, but he had never seen a grieving person experience an anger like this. The closest example he could remember was over a century ago when the Germans had bombed the streets around the cathedral. Miraculously, the building had never caught fire, but the destruction had been and the people's grief and anger more terrible still. Just then, his thoughts were interrupted by a visit from another friend. Chapter 9 Eagle was a white-tailed sea eagle and a terrible conversationalist, but for a completely different reason than Bat. Eagle didn't have questions, he had answers. Regardless of the topic at hand, he spoke with the confidence of a Rhodes Scholar. One distinct advantage to a visit with Eagle was that he seemed to be able to hear Jerry Meyer a bit better than Bat was able to do. The gargoyle's running theory was that the older a creature was, the more attuned they were to non-audible communication. Scientists had never succeeded in tagging Eagle's feet, but if they had, they would have discovered that he had broken several bird-of-prey lifespan records and was nearly 36 years old. Eagle had made his nest in an ornamental crevice of the cathedral spire and had lived there for at least two decades, leaving only for brief hunting trips and visits to Jeremiah. With the passing years, 
his communication and his eyesight had taken on an inverse relationship. Though he could now hear Jeremiah quite clearly, he was also on a steady trajectory to blindness. It was on this topic that Eagle was now delivering today's soliloquy. Chapter 10 Instinct, my boy! Eagle was fond of addressing Jeremiah as my boy, even though technically the gargoyle was 136 years his senior. Instinct? I wouldn't trade beak or claw for the stuff. My great-uncle couldn't tell cotton candy from a cloud in his latter years, but he never missed a dive. May he nest in peace, Jeremiah replied, instantly regretting the insensitive pun. Eagle either wasn't offended or didn't hear him. Yes, the old bird was as blind as the bats he hunted before he died, but still deadlier than a bolt of lightning. As long as the blood of my ancestors flows through my veins, I shall laugh at the prospect of dimming eyesight and... Did you say your great-uncle hunted bats? Jeremiah interrupted. Yes, we all do that from time to time. They have a nasty crabby flavour, but they are easy catches and don't give too much trouble in a chase. The flower man and his fiery mind had so consumed Jeremiah's thoughts in the past few days that he had completely forgotten his curiosity about Bat's predicament. All of a sudden, it clicked that the boogeyman, known as Whiteface, could be none other than his friend Eagle. His claws were indeed as sharp as daggers, though the reports that his eyes could see a thousand miles were definitely exaggerated. Jeremiah felt a twinge of guilt as he began to suspect that his two friendships might contain a conflict of interest. Does it ever feel wrong to eat bats? Jeremiah asked cautiously. Eagle gave him a patronising smile, as if he were a child who had just asked where babies came from. My boy, I know you don't eat food at all, but the rest of God's creatures exist in something called the food chain. Moths eat leaves, bats eat those moths, eagles occasionally eat those bats. Then when we eagles die, our bodies decompose in the ground where the plants use our nutrients to grow more leaves for the moths. It's the circle of life. It seemed laughably obvious to Jeremiah that eagle had the most comfortable link in this food chain. But he saw the bird's point and decided to try a different tactic. Okay, but why do you hunt? these particular bats. Convenience, mainly. It's easy to find them and they never stray too far from their church. Their church? Jeremiah asked. Isn't this cathedral our church too? We may live here, but I mean they worship here. What do they worship? He had never heard Bat mention anything about this. My boy, you don't know, Eagle laughed. They worship you. Chapter 11 For a moment, Jeremiah was speechless. Me? He wanted to deny it, but once the revelation had settled, 
So many things started to make sense. The food and gifts were sacrifices. The complaints and requests were prayers. Jeremiah even vaguely resembled a bat, like a caricature of some ancient paganism. He could see himself as a towering stone statue in a bat temple. Bat must be his family's priest, he thought. How do you know this? he asked Eagle, though he was already convinced he still wanted to hear an explanation. Eagle stopped chuckling and began telling his tale. Just over a year ago, I was out hunting when a terrible storm broke out. The raindrops were so heavy and the lightning so terrible that I was forced to take shelter under a gable-covered window. As I sat there waiting for the storm to end, I started to overhear voices from the window beside me. It was a group of bats. It took every feather of my self-control not to ignore the dangerous weather and make a meal out of them, but I held back and listened instead. One particular bat was telling a story to a rapt audience. Apparently, this unfortunate fellow had also gotten caught in the storm and was directly in the path of a bolt of lightning when his life was unexpectedly saved by a statue just behind him who took the lightning strike and then gave him shelter from the rain until it was clear enough to fly back to the tribe. Jeremiah remembered the storm and the subsequent lightning strike well but had no idea that it was how he had met Bat. Though rain and lightning posed no real danger to him, it had still been exciting enough for him to lose awareness of whatever creatures might have been nearby. He was feeling increasingly guilty. Not only was he the comrade of his friend's primary predator, he was also the reason they insisted on living on the cathedral instead of relocating to safer territory. Chapter 12 After conversing for another half hour or so, Eagle flew back to his nest, leaving Jeremiah alone with his thoughts once again. The revelation about Bat was troubling, but was still overshadowed by the flame that always lingered in the back of his mind. With all his heart, he wanted to forget the flower man, but the feeling of unease refused to leave him. With discipline failing him, he turned to distraction. Visitors were few and far between, but at least the cathedral offered the occasional drama to tune into. Father John was having a flustered week and seemed temporarily incapable of pronouncing the name Pontius Pilate while reciting the Apostles' Creed. Dr. Wright's attempts to get the boys' choir in shape were constantly being thwarted by one 12-year-old class clown who had his peers in hysterics every few measures. But perhaps Jeremiah's favorite ongoing narrative was the mounting romantic tension between two security guards, Volki Volki, as he was affectionately called by cathedral staff, was a mountain of a man with enormous strength. But after some sort of incident at an after-work party, his confidence no longer seemed to match his size. Some mishap involving a balloon. 
though Jeremiah couldn't be sure as the party hadn't happened nearby, and his only information was coming from cathedral gossip. Bawalki Vawalki had long harbored feelings for his co-worker Leah, and the feelings were mutual. But since Volki's nerves had been interpreted as standoffishness, she had kept the crush to herself. This was one of the weeks that their night shifts overlapped, so Jeremiah had hoped that their saga would provide ample distraction from his looming dread. How was your weekend? asked Leah. Anything fun happen? Bulky Volky had, in fact, had a very busy weekend, but suddenly every memory of it seemed to be hearing emergency alarms and evacuating his head. Not wanting to seem boring, he found himself blurting out, Pretty good. Took my cat for a walk. You don't even have a cat. What were you thinking? He berated himself. If Jeremiah could eat, he would at this time be getting comfortable and making himself popcorn, but his amusement was short-lived. Something was wrong. The flames were once again creeping into Jeremiah's periphery, but this time it wasn't a memory. The flower man was back. Chapter 13 Jeremiah yanked his attention away from Volki and Leah and started desperately searching for the flower man's location. It didn't take long. He was skulking just outside an entrance on the southwest wall of the cathedral. This was the kind of man who couldn't hold back anything. Like the hoses he used to water the cathedral gardens, trying to block himself off only seemed to increase the pressure. The man had actually met with a priest and nearly confessed whatever his plan was. It was as if his terrible secret was determined to get out. Who was he meeting with now? Jeremiah wondered. Chapter 14 Night fell and the flower man waited. Far above him, Jeremiah waited too. The cathedral was all but empty, but there seemed to be another kind of emptiness in the air. It was a stark contrast to the flower man's overflowing temperament, and Jeremiah wondered where this was coming from. At last, someone else arrived, and it was instantly clear what was causing the shift in the atmosphere. This man was empty to the point of vacuousness. As Jeremiah searched for a name for the approaching figure, the first thought in his mind was, this man must be made of stone. The hypocrisy was immediately apparent, so he decided another name would be required. If he has a heart, it must be buried underneath a thick coat of armor, he thought. Jeremiah had only heard of one such creature before, he decided to call the stranger the Armadillo Man. Chapter 15 Is it done? The Armadillo Man asked. The cathedral records will show that you're on leave. The cathedral records will, but what about the farm's records? 
replied the flower man. And another thing, why did we need to meet here? Someone's going to see me and wonder why I'm not halfway across the country. His emotional pendulum was always moving between anger and fear, but right now it seemed to be swinging towards full-blown panic. No one's going to see you, the new arrival snapped. Just shut up and stay focused. The flower man's fear of being caught seemed to be eclipsed by his fear of the armadillo man because he immediately withdrew into silence and let his accomplice go on. We are meeting here because I need to know that we'll be able to get in at the right time. We'll worry about the other paperwork later. If you use your keycard, will there be a record of who opened this door? There would be, but I swiped a keycard from one of the construction workers, the flower man replied. He commutes in with a friend and doesn't need one, so he hasn't reported it missing. Hesitantly, he reached into his coat pocket and handed the card over. I'll be waiting with the van when you come out. The armadillo man seemed satisfied and turned to walk away. Just before he was out of earshot, he pivoted back to look at the now shaking man. Tuesday, it burns said before making a final exit. Today is Wednesday, thought Jeremiah. They're coming back in six days. Chapter 16 Jeremiah's mind raced, trying to put the pieces together. He had foolishly hoped that the fire in the flower man's head was metaphorical, but now he was sure that the two men literally planned to burn the cathedral down. The flower man's motive had a certain horrifying logic to it. He holds God responsible for his sister's illness, so he'll burn down what he sees as God's house. The armadillo man was entirely different. No matter how hard Jeremiah searched his thoughts, he couldn't perceive a motive, though he seemed to take the planning very seriously. It was as if he was committing the crime purely for entertainment. Jeremiah didn't know for sure what time they would arrive Tuesday, but he assumed that their scheme would be taking place in the middle of the night when personnel would be limited to a handful of security guards. Such a small number of humans would have no problem escaping the blaze, but Jeremiah feared for the cathedral's population of wildfowl, bats, and gargoyles. There could be no blank canvassing for Jeremiah tonight he needed a plan of his own. Chapter 17 Phase one of his plan took place the very next day when Eagle stopped for another visit. At first, Jeremiah tried to explain the impending danger, but when the top of the food chain bird of prey didn't even know what the word fire meant, he realized he would need to take a different approach. Do you ever wonder if it's time for a change of scenery? Jeremiah asked. I'm not sure what you mean, replied his friend. 
A mighty eagle like you doesn't deserve to be breathing this city fog. Don't you miss the salty air of the coast? Eagle was caught off his guard. It has been a while since I visited the ocean. Jeremiah pressed on. I'm not talking about a visit, I'm talking about retirement. Immediately, he realized his poor choice of words and corrected himself. Of course, I don't mean a retirement for the sake of age. What I mean is a retirement from the city's beckoned call. This cathedral has been conquered. Doesn't a conqueror deserve a better view than a cathedral spire? Jeremiah paused, then added, And after all, fish are much tastier than bats. He immediately worried that that last line had pushed it too far, but Eagle didn't seem to be bothered. In fact, he seemed quite taken with the idea. My boy, you make a compelling case, but I couldn't possibly make a decision like that on a whim. Yes, yes, of course not, but why not take a scouting trip and see what there is to see? You can always return to your old nest if there's nothing to be found. Eagle nodded, but his head seemed to be drooping as he did so. Jeremiah guessed what his objection was and decided to save his pride by beating him to the punch. Yes, your eyes may not be what they used to be, but your instincts are stronger than ever. He paused before reaching the climax of his sales pitch. With our combined talents, I should think we could reach the West Coast within just a few days. Eagle looked up. You're coming? If you are strong enough to lift me, I think I could be of use. Eagle made something of a snorting noise with his beak. My boy, with all due respect, you are a paperweight in my talons. When do we leave? Jeremiah replied confidently, In five days, just after dusk. Eagle was convinced but had one final question. What about the stone attaching your feet to the building? How will you get free? Just be here on Tuesday. Chapter 18 Phase two of the plan took place in the evening when Bat came to visit. As usual, he had brought berries and a laundry list of requests. Knowing that very soon these complaints would be the least of Bat's worries, Jeremiah decided to interject and cut to the chase. Bat, I'm leaving the cathedral, and I need you and your family to leave too. A great trouble is coming. The intensity of Jeremiah's words must have brought a certain clarity to them, for Bat seemed to understand right away. But where would we go? We're only familiar with the area near the cathedral. You don't need to go far. Any of the buildings nearby will be safe enough, but you must leave the cathedral. This did little to subdue the rising panic in Bat's voice. But no other building in the city has hiding places like this. Whiteface will... The gargoyle interrupted again. You don't need to worry about Whiteface anymore. I'm going to take care of him. For the first time in Jeremiah's memory, Bat 
was speechless. The pause was so long that he wondered if, perhaps, his streak of clarity had ended and he was no longer being understood. At last, Bat spoke up. Thank you. Tomorrow I will have the entire family bring our berries to show our gratitude. That is very kind, replied Jeremiah, but I'd like to ask for something else. Bat sat very still, awaiting the gargoyle's instructions. Instead of bringing berries, could you ask your family to bring any sharp pebbles they can find, and instead of leaving them at my feet, I'd like you to fly them directly towards my feet and use them to scrape the stone beneath my toes until it begins chipping. This was now the second time Bat was left speechless. We'll be back tomorrow night, he replied simply before flapping his wings into the night sky. Chapter 19 Phase 3 of the plan was something Jeremiah had never attempted before, speaking to a human. Of course, since Jeremiah could not make actual sound, people often mistook his voice for their own thoughts. Intrusive thoughts could be terribly confusing, especially to a human. So until now, Jeremiah had never intentionally done it, but today he had a very important message. Tell him you like his ponytail. Leah and Bulky Volky were once again overlapping on the night shift. For the rest of the week, they would be patrolling the northwest hallway near Jeremiah's terrace, and it was paramount that they did not see anything strange. Say, for instance, a tribe of bats attacking Jeremiah's feet with sharp pebbles. Bulky Volky had long blonde hair that he typically stuffed into a baseball cap, but today he had slept through his alarm and forgotten the cap in his rush to get out the door. Because of this error, he was now wearing his hair in a ponytail and feeling deeply insecure about it. Leah really did like how it looked, and the unsolicited advice from the terrace gargoyle proved just enough to convince her to say it out loud. I like your ponytail, said Leah. Volky froze, frantically searching for an appropriate response. Jeremiah was ready with just the thing. Tell her you like her hip pack. Thanks. I like your bag, the hulking guard said timidly. In Leah's spare time, when she wasn't working at the cathedral, her greatest joy was sewing ornately patterned fabric into handbags and hip packs. She hoped to someday sell them, but was terribly afraid that no one would take interest. Though Volky knew next to nothing about fabric or sewing, he had a knack for asking good questions, and her excitement about sharing her process was infectious. Jeremiah felt uncomfortable interfering past this point, but fortunately, he didn't have to. The ice was melting away, and the river of conversation started to flow freely. By Monday night, they had eyes and ears for no one and nothing else. Chapter 20 while Leah and Bulky Volky's awkwardness eroded, 
The area around Jeremiah's feet was disappearing at a similar speed. Bat had been true to his word and soon, hundreds of brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles and cousins were scouring the streets for sharp rocks and using them to chip away at Jeremiah's stone shackles. It was the night before the two counterpart plans were set to reach their climax when Jeremiah told Bat to call the workers off. Their scraping and chipping had been so effective that only a few centimeters of stone held the gargoyle to his terrace. Any more damage would result in a 50-meter fall to the ground below. Though he was excited about the progress, his elation was dampened by a growing feeling of guilt. Though he had never encouraged Bat to deify him, he now knew about the clan's worship. To let that stand unchallenged was effectively lying. Jeremiah had heard many a sermon on the sin of dishonesty, but perhaps the message that had stuck with him the longest had been a mother in a nearby park telling her daughter the story of Pinocchio. A nose that grew when a bluff was told was a striking enough mental image, but the story also lingered for another reason. It was the only other time that Jeremiah had heard of a craftsman making something so excellent that it came to life. Though he remembered almost none of the details of the story, he felt a certain kinship with the fictional puppet and worried that maybe they shared a dishonest streak too. Though his body was made of stone, his conscience wasn't. When Bat landed nearby awaiting further instructions, Jeremiah decided to come clean. He had no idea how much of his speech Bat would be able to make out, but he launched into it anyway. Bat, I need to tell you something. I didn't protect you from the lightning strike. I haven't protected you from rain or exterminators or predators. None of my advice has been prophetic. He paused to let this sink in. I am going to try to protect you from Whiteface, but I'm not the god who's been looking out for you. This is just one friend trying to help out another friend. I'm so sorry for not telling you sooner. Do you think we can still be friends? There was a long silence as Bat digested the news. Finally, he said, Will you say goodbye? What? You said you were leaving the cathedral. Friends say goodbye, he replied simply. Jeremiah felt the burden slip off his shoulders. Yes, Bat, meet me here tomorrow, just after dusk, and I'll say goodbye. Chapter 21 Jeremiah was glad that the week's events had gone so smoothly, but when he found himself on Tuesday with nothing left to do, he felt more anxiety than relief. The adrenaline of plans and executions had been an effective distraction from his nerves, but now there was nothing left to do but wait for Eagle to arrive. By late afternoon, his worried thoughts had become a cacophony. What if Eagle comes late? 
What if he forgets what day we agreed to meet? What if, if the stone at my feet is too thick for him to knock me free? What if it's too thin and I fall before he gets here? What if Leah and Bulky Volky's first date last night went poorly and they stopped distracting each other? What if... His thoughts were rudely interrupted by a loud barking from inside the cathedral. He paused to listen and now heard voices of guards yelling instructions at each other. It seemed that somehow a stray dog had slipped past security and was now running amuck through the cathedral hallways. Bad dog, thought Jeremiah, smiling internally at the cartoonish situation. All at once, Bulky Volky and Leah's radios were filled with a staticky voice asking for all personnel on their floor to come lend a hand on the floor below. As they started sprinting to the stairs, Jeremiah realized his distraction would be more effective than any chemistry under the sun if the loose animal could evade capture for long enough. Good dog. Quickly, his smugness faded as it hit him. He was not the only party that wanted a distraction. Bad dog. Chapter 22. Jeremiah's heart sank. They must be lighting it now. He began scanning the cathedral and sure enough, the cold emptiness of the armadillo man's consciousness was moving through the halls in the opposite direction of the distracted guards. It had never occurred to him that these men would execute their schemes in broad daylight when so many people were still inside. Non-staff visitors who weren't familiar with the cathedral's fire exits could end up hurt or even killed. In the planning of this heist, Jeremiah's primary concern had been evading detection, but now he threw caution to the wind and screamed as loud as his mind would let him. Fire! Seconds later, alarms began to sound and sirens could be heard racing through the city streets. Jeremiah felt relief flood his mind, knowing that he had been heard and that the people inside would have ample time to escape. Humans hadn't been the only cathedral residents to hear the warning. As Jeremiah sat intently listening, he was suddenly bowled over by a tremendous impact. For the first time in his life, Jeremiah's stone feet were completely separated from the stone of the cathedral terrace and the gargoyle began free falling towards the ground below. Just before he made contact with the asphalt, he felt eight strong fingers grasping the wings on his back. With a jerk, the gargoyle was suddenly moving up instead of down. I heard you shouting like a fool and decided I had better come to knock you down early, laughed Eagle from up above him. Thank God you did, replied Jeremiah. Say, my boy, what's the point of you having these enormous stone wings if I'm going to have to carry you this whole way? Now it was Jeremiah's turn to laugh. The pair flew west towards the glowing sunset, while behind them, the east began to form a glow of its own. 
23. The two escapees flew through the night until the sunrise when Eagle became too hungry and tired to go on. When they reached a town square, he set his companion down out of sight in a large rooftop gutter and went off in search of food. As Jeremiah sat and collected his thoughts, he was overwhelmed with conflicting emotions. On one hand, he was intensely grateful that he had been able to protect the humans, bats and eagles who inhabited the cathedral, and he was happy to be alive himself. But such a sudden exit meant he hadn't been able to say goodbye to his home, leaving a terrible lack of closure to the memories he had made there. Even worse, he hadn't been able to say goodbye to his friend Bat, to whom he owed such a great debt. But these two emotions were quickly overtaken by a third. Excitement. Jeremiah's cathedral terrace had put him in regular proximity of a handful of people. But here, in the town square, thousands passed in a single day, from old men reuniting over coffee to booger-nosed toddlers racing their tricycles there was so much to listen to that it was almost overwhelming. Best of all, the daylight brought street performers and singers by the dozens. The music filled the square, as well as the heart of the gargoyle hiding in the gutter. By mid-morning, the noise had reached such a crescendo that Jeremiah was no longer choosing specific songs or conversations to focus on, but was simply enjoying the ambience. Like shooting an arrow into a dense forest, it was becoming increasingly unlikely that any words shot into this crowd would find their way to the other side. Yet all of a sudden, a word seemed to do just that. Clear as day, Jeremiah heard the word, Hello? Louder than any cathedral chorus and clearer than any human speech, the word echoed in the gargoyle's mind. He had never heard anything like it. In fact, he had nearly convinced himself that it had only been in his imagination when the voice sounded again. Hello? It's good to see another son of Jeremiah. Chapter 24 Jeremiah reeled. He had no idea how this mysterious entity could speak so clearly, let alone how it knew his name. Though he still hadn't located the source, he decided to respond. How do you know my name? I don't, the voice responded. But you called me Jeremiah. I said it was good to see a son of Jeremiah. I have no idea what you are called. Jeremiah suddenly felt embarrassed at the lack of creativity he had applied to naming himself so many years ago and decided to change the subject. Well, what's your name then? I am King Henry IV. Jeremiah racked his brain for a tactful way to ask his next question but he ended up abandoning the attempt and just asking point-blank. I'm sorry, but weren't you assassinated over 400 years ago in the revolution? King Henry let out a hearty laugh. 
<laughs> yes, my friend, King Henry did die over 400 years ago, though I am not old enough to remember that. In fact, I believe I am only a few years older than you are. You see, I too am a son of Jeremiah. We are brothers. Jeremiah suddenly realized where the voice must be coming from. In the middle of the town square was a large statue of a man riding a war horse. Is he saying that he and I were made by the same person? As if he had read Jeremiah's thoughts, the king said, Yes, Jeremiah is the sculptor who made me, you, and many other living creatures. Not every sculpture he made is like us, but many are. I don't know how he did it, or if he was even aware that he was doing it, but the man's hands could make magic that would make a fairy jealous. Jeremiah had so many questions that he didn't know where to begin. He decided to ask the question that he had wondered for over 170 years. What happened to the sculptor after his fall at the cathedral? Settle in, and I'll tell you everything I know, said King Henry IV. Jeremiah thought about poking fun at the idea of a statue settling in, but decided to leave it alone and listen. Chapter 25 Old Jeremiah made me around 185 years ago. Naturally, I was very curious about this fellow who woke me up, so I learned as much as I could about him while he put the finishing touches on me and my trusty steed here. He seemed to be referring to the horse he was sitting on, which evidently hadn't quite been crafted to the point of waking up. I became friends with a handful of the village sparrows, and some of them did me the favor of checking in on the sculptor to tell me how he was doing. The birds never witnessed exactly what happened that fateful day at the cathedral, but they did see him carried out of the construction area on a stretcher and taken to the hospital. His injuries were minor, but while the doctors were examining him, they discovered a terrible cancer in his lungs. It was too late to operate, and truthfully, they didn't know much about the disease back then, so poor old Jeremiah was out of luck. The gargoyle, who had been hanging on every word, found himself involuntarily interrupting with, What happened after that? Well, the sculptor wasn't wealthy by any means, but he had a decent retirement savings, which he used to move into a hospice out near the coast. It was this beautiful old farm property where people could live out their last days with dignity. The doctors told Jeremiah he had less than a year left, but he ended up living another three. Till the last day, he spent his time making beautiful stone sculptures and wood carvings to cheer up his fellow residents. By the time he finally died, he was so well-loved by the staff and the residents that they turned one of the farm's old barns 
into an art gallery in his memory. Any of the residents well enough to be out of bed are free to visit the sculpture gallery at any time and enjoy his work. You mean to tell me that after all this time the hospice and the gallery are still there? Jerry Meyer asked incredulously. According to my sparrow friends, yes. About two days' journey from here, there is a barn full of creatures just like us. King Henry paused and shifted to a more direct, but also a more gentle tone of voice. Little brother, every son of Jeremiah is meant to end up at that farm. It's our home at the end of these long and winding roads, and I believe your journey is almost at an end. Jeremiah had longed for a family for so many years that the thought of this was almost too good to be true. But even though his heart ached to find the farm, part of him was also tempted to stay here. The journey would be dangerous, and at least here he would have enough entertainment to last a lifetime. Not only that, but he now had King Henry to keep him company, which led him to his next question. But how will you get there? I don't know, and I don't need to just now, he replied. It is not my time yet. There may yet be more sons and daughters of Jeremiah that need to be pointed in the right direction. What is the right direction? Northwest. Chapter 26 As the sun began to set, Eagle returned to the roof where he had deposited Jeremiah that morning. He was in a considerably better mood now that his stomach was full and he was overflowing with stories of his impressive dives and strikes. My boy, you were absolutely right. Mice taste considerably better than bats. Moving out of that dingy old church spire was the best idea I've ever had. Jeremiah smiled internally at the inconsistencies in Eagle's memory. The whole thing had been his idea, not just the change in diet, and it had been fish, not mice, that he had been suggesting. Jeremiah was having difficulty knowing how to explain to Eagle what he had learnt today. He was still in shock himself. It was so tempting to direct their next steps by manipulating Eagle's ego, the way he had when initiating this trip. But remembering his guilty conscience after not telling Bat the full truth, he decided to try his best to explain. Eagle seemed to understand very little of the tale, but he did understand King Henry's parting instruction. So, without further ado, the two once again lifted off into the night sky and headed northwest. Chapter 27 it had been two full days since the pair of them had left the town square, and Jeremiah was growing anxious that they would not find the farm. Please, Eagle, let's just go a little further. I don't see how stopping for a snack 
would hurt our chances of finding this place, Eagle replied. Realizing that he was right, the gargoyle conceded the debate. Eagle pivoted to begin the descent, but was almost immediately stopped by Jeremiah. Wait, turn to the left a little and head for that clearing. Eagle was just happy to be heading for the ground and didn't bother to debate the request. What had caught Jeremiah's attention was the sound of a young woman's voice many meters down below. Though he couldn't be absolutely sure, he could swear he had heard her say the words, Morning, Janice. Ready to take your meds? This was a sentence that could have been said anywhere, but was infinitely more likely to be said at a hospice. Perhaps they had finally found the farm. As the two approached the clearing, he desperately wanted to search the property for the barn that held Jeremiah's sculpture gallery, but knew that it wouldn't be fair to Eagle. They would have to begin looking the following day. The clearing turned out to be a small parking lot. Once they were sure the coast was clear, Eagle lowered the heavy statue into some tall grass near the edge of the lot, where he would be unlikely to be seen. As his friend left to find food, Jeremiah listened as he had never listened before. Chapter 28 The longer he listened, the more sure he was that he had reached his destination. Not only was this definitely a hospice, but he had also heard a nurse ask one of her colleagues if she would like to join her for lunch break in the gallery. Unfortunately, the conversation quickly moved out of range and Jeremiah wasn't able to pick up any more clues about the gallery's location. Things at the farm seemed to be business as usual until mid-afternoon when Jeremiah heard a commotion coming from the front office. From the profanity-laced apologies coming from one voice and assurances that it was completely all right from another voice, it sounded as if someone had knocked over a large decorative plant. The interaction went on much longer than necessary, but eventually the voice finished repenting for his clumsiness and started heading for the front door. As he combined his goodbye with one final apology, Jeremiah felt a wave of horror. He was beginning to recognize the voice. It was the flower man, though he was noticeably different than the last time Jeremiah had encountered him. The fire inside him had burned out, and all that remained was ashy terror. At first, Jeremiah thought it was his shaking nerves that had caused his clumsiness in the office, but when the armadillo man appeared a few moments later, he began to think there was something more sinister at work. Did it work? The flower man rasped. Yes. They were distracted long enough for me to change the dates of all your sign-ins and sign-outs, replied his accomplice. But what if the police talk to my sister or ask the staff? You've visited her six days this week. If staff looks at a file saying seven out of seven, then they'll remember seven out of seven he replied, growing impatient. 
Your sister is too delirious to remember her own mother's name. No one will expect a record of your visits from her. For a second, Jeremiah felt the coals inside the flower man glow red, but he quickly regained control and ignored the cruel comment. Just let's go. Jeremiah felt deep anger at the injustice that was taking place. He wasn't sure how smoothly their plans for arson had gone, but it seemed that their plans to evade responsibility were going splendidly. At least they are leaving the farm for now, thought Jeremiah. His relief was short-lived as the voices grew closer and closer. With a jolt, he realized that the van parked very close to the grass he was camping in must be their vehicle. Though the foliage around him made him invisible from most angles, he was exposed to anyone looking at him straight on. As the pair rounded the corner, the flower man's shifting green eyes locked with Jeremiah's decidedly non-shifting grey ones. There was a short pause, then the screaming began. Chapter 29 The Armadillo Man pounced on his hysterical companion to cover his mouth. What on earth is wrong with you? He whispered furiously. Look, look in the bushes, the flower man stuttered. With a hand still partially covering his friend's mouth, the armadillo man turned his head to look at Jeremiah. Something so out of place in the countryside was unsettling even to him, but he kept his cool demeanor. It's a statue. What's the issue? That's not a statue. It's, it's a gargoyle. That came from the cathedral, the flower man replied, another wave of panic coming on. The cathedral knows it sent demons to haunt us wherever we go. We'll never be. The armadillo man suddenly let go of the man's mouth and shoulders, causing him to lose balance and fall to the gravel parking lot ground. Without a word, he turned from the cowering man and walked towards the van. He threw open its back doors, revealing a variety of gardening, landscaping and construction tools fastened to the walls. With a calm determination, he selected a large sledgehammer and began walking straight towards Jeremiah. Let's see what this demon is made of. He barked in the flower man's general direction as he lifted the hammer above his head. When the first swing came down, the deepest thought that Jeremiah could muster up was, uh-oh. But when the armadillo man missed and pulled back for a second attempt, time seemed to slow down. As the hammer fell, Jeremiah found himself doing what he had done for most of his life, listening and wondering. He listened to the air whooshing by as the wood and metal arced towards him. He wondered how many pieces of him would need to be intact for him to survive this. He listened to the flower man pleading with his friend to stop, and he wondered how two men could be as different as the sculptor who loved to create and the armadillo man who loved to destroy. 
his life had been started with a hammer. Now it seemed it would be ended with one. Chapter 30 Jeremiah waited and waited, but the blow never came. The armadillo man who had just dropped his sledgehammer was now screaming a vile string of expletives. Much to Jeremiah's surprise, the fury was not directed at him or even to the cringing flower man, but rather at the black cloud that was now swarming his head. The pads. The sight of his comrade being mobbed by the winged black creatures confirmed all of the flower man's worst fears. Without bothering to close the van's open rear doors, he sprinted to the driver's side and desperately attempted to get the vehicle in gear. Screeching out of the parking lot, he made his escape, though not without leaving two scratched vehicles and a cracked garbage can in his wake. The remaining arsonist was still furiously swatting away the army of bats when the sound of sirens in the distance caught his attention. The hospice staff must have called the police after all the screaming, thought Jeremiah. Realizing his escape vehicle was gone, the armadillo man gave Jeremiah one last look of pure hatred before picking up the fallen sledgehammer and making for the tree line. The bats followed suit, but only to hide from the hospice staff and police officers gathering in the parking lot. How did you find me? Jeremiah asked bat once it felt safe to talk. You said you would say goodbye. After a few days of waiting, we knew something was wrong. We tracked you as far as we could till we met the horseman who told us where you would be. Jeremiah had many questions about the details of the journey, but the majority of them seemed to go over Bat's head, so eventually he accepted that much of it would remain a mystery. I'm so sorry I couldn't say goodbye, said Jeremiah finally, and I'm sorry that you had to make such a long journey, though I'm so glad you did. True to your word, Whiteface has not appeared in days, replied Bat. We owe you a great debt and had to find you to thank you. As if on cue, several Bat cousins flew down from the trees they were hiding in, carrying goodwill berries. Jeremiah laughed at the sight of the familiar fruit. My friend, we are more than even. Chapter 31 Jeremiah visited with his old friend for the rest of the afternoon. He did his best to convey his deepest gratitude and asked Bat to visit whenever he could make the trip, which Bat agreed to enthusiastically. Shortly after Bat and his family left, Eagle returned once again, happy and full of food. After night fell and most of the hospice staff was gone, Eagle graciously assisted Jeremiah in locating the gallery barn and carrying him in through an open window. Inside the barn were carvings, statues, and sculptures of all kinds placed on ornamental shelves. Eagle gently placed Jeremiah at the end of a row of similarly sized creatures 
making him indistinguishable from his peers and making it unlikely that anyone would notice the new addition. Upon arrival, the gargoyle was welcomed warmly by each and every one of his siblings, and it soon felt to him that he had always belonged here. Jeremiah would always be grateful for the friendship of Eagle and Bat, but nothing could have prepared him for the joy of finally finding a family. For the first time in his life, the gargoyle could speak and be heard clearly by his brothers and sisters, the children of Jeremiah the sculptor. But most of the time, he still just listened. Jeremiah was a wonderful listener. He would let you speak for as long as you needed, without interrupting once. He wouldn't nod or mm along with you, but as you spoke, you would know in your heart that you were heard and understood. The end. The Gargoyle was written and scored by Jesse Bout. It was read by Peter Walters and edited by Chloe Bout and Owen Hebert. Illustrations were created by Jamie Bout. Thank you for listening.